Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. Anyway, so glad to, uh, to get a chance to be with you. Uh, tonight, I want to just share something with you from my heart. It's, one of, it's really a life message to me, something that, that God has done in me that, that has made a significant difference. And the way I live my life. And that's my hope tonight. is not just to give you a message, but to give you a hope, something that you leave with, that God can do a great work in your heart. And so the subject is, is simply this, is what does it mean to, and, and actually, how do you find your value and your worth as a human being? And the, the title simply is Crowned with Dignity and Worth. And I want to talk to you tonight about where it comes from and where we sometimes try to find a counterfeit. Because the reality of it is this. If you don't know what something's worth, you don't know how to treat it. And so, uh, you know, tonight I have, uh, this is just a, a Kleenex. It's clean, by the way. Uh, I haven't used it, and it's just simply a Kleenex. And so how I treat this will not disturb anybody. So if, if you know, if I tear it in pieces, and, and, and now I don't know, Pastor Joe isn't, doesn't mess him up if the floor gets messy. You know Jerry Weinzerl. Every time I've been to his church, I take little things and I throw them down while I'm speaking because he's OCD, and the whole time I'm speaking, he's going. I just can't help it. It's, it's, it's the Italian. And by the way, how many Italians are here tonight? Just give me a minute. That was a beautiful thing. So did it bother anybody here tonight that I just destroyed a, a, a tissue? I mean, really, I mean, did any of you kind of go, you, you disgusting human being? It did because it has no value. But I'm, well, I'm going to try something, and you guys pray for me. Let me see. I need to have somebody that's married. Uh, are, are you two married? And how long have you been married? How long? Oh, okay. Do you, have a, do you have a wedding ring? Can I see it, please? <clears throat> now, thank you. Now, here's what I know about this ring that you, you don't know, is that I have a wedding ring, too. It's this band of gold. And when men get married, we get a band of gold that turns your finger green. But when women get married, usually, they get one that doesn't turn anything green. It just costs a lot of green. And so the tissue paper that I destroyed doesn't bother you. But when I take her ring, and, and this is a piece of metal here, would you be okay if I laid it there and stepped on it? Would you think, do you think it would be okay if I sat it down and just did that to it a little bit and smashed it and and then just tossed it up there is anyone okay with that now right now you're thinking what an idiot i knew you were a steelers fan you you're a steelers fan well you you like the steelers you hate me but obviously it was a, a setup i brought the ring so relax so now everybody here there's somebody in the back going, i'm gonna punch him in the face what an idiot the reason it bothered you is because it, hold, it held value. Not just monetary value, but significant value to them as a couple. And until you know what something's worth, you don't know how to treat it. And that's, and that's one of the, the primary reasons why people's lives get twisted. Why they end up in behaviors. Why they end up in bondages that they otherwise never would fall into. Because they don't know what they're worth. They don't know how to treat. They don't know how to care for what God values. They don't 
place on themselves the value that God places on them. They don't know how to appraise their value. Now, many years ago, and when I was uh, just starting in ministry, <clears throat> I was at my home church. In fact, my pastors, in fact, your pastors actually had an impact in his life, getting him to Rama and or somehow around Bill Anzavino. I don't know. Some of you guys were connected. Oh, he got you there. Okay, well, then never mind. Bill helped you all too. So, and I was at Bill's church, and and Bill is in Midland, Pennsylvania, and, and the church just began to grow, and and uh, and he was having like a little get together at his house, and uh, and there were maybe forty, fifty people in the downstairs, <clears throat> and it was just wall to wall people. It wasn't designed for that many people. And you know, when a room's full of people, you hear this kind of loud, low roar in the room, just everyone talking. Well, there was an old man there. His name's Angelo, and Angelo is like a really rough cut Italian guy. In fact, I mean. Let's just say he's a Christian, but he hit it really well. Okay, so, okay, you know what I mean? But Angelo was just, I mean, he was just direct and brutal. And so, for whatever reason, that, that week, uh, Bill had had his, house, his home appraised and was going to sell it. And the appraisal came in very high. And I didn't, to be honest with you, I was 21, 20. I didn't even know what an appraisal was. I really didn't. And so everyone's talking, yeah, he got the appraisal, they're going to sell their house. <clears throat> For some reason, Angelo was ticked off. Because he, he owned like four or five uh, homes in that town, and he felt he knew the value of that house. And he thought it was overvalued. So he yelled across the room at me. And you know when somebody yells in a crowded room, how everyone stops talking, right? And he yells, and I won't do it how he did it, because it would kind of probably bother you. He yelled, and he called me boy. He said, hey, boy! Hey, boy! And he yelled, and he's making eye contact with me. And I just, I'm like, yeah? And he yells out. He said, you want to know what this house is worth? And everyone's quiet. And I'm thinking, no. I'm just, I don't know what to do. I'm just kind of standing there. I'll tell you what it's worth. It's worth what someone's willing to pay for it. And if the appraiser will write the check, fine. Until then, it's not worth a nickel. Till you get the money. It's worth what someone will pay for it, boy. And I went, okay. And then the room went back, and everybody realized that's Angelo. That's just Angelo. Now, Angelo, I don't know if he was ever used of God in his life. But that night he was. The minute he said that to me, I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. In, in the midst of my embarrassment. And he said, that's what you're worth to me. Your praise value to me is what I purchased you with. And I was in my early 20s. And I don't know why this is. And maybe some of you are like I was. or you know, I, I don't know why. I, I would go into a room and I would feel less than other people. I would go into environments and feel like I can't do this like other people. Now there's some of you that, you know, you, you went into, you played a game and you were the best at it. And you took a test and you got an A. And if you got an A, I sat beside you and cheated off of you. Okay? And by the way, when I was in high school, they threw me out for that stuff. Now I cheat off of people in life and learn from them. And I, get, I get accolades because, well, how'd you learn that? I sort of stole it from that guy. But anyway, but the reality of it is this. In, in, in my life, I just felt less than other people. And so when you feel that way, you, you just don't live your life with any intentionality. And what it resulted in was me getting into behaviors that were destructive in my life. And so... When God spoke that to my heart, 
It wasn't just a simple revelation that you would learn. He was trying to get across to me my value in this life. That your value isn't based on your ability, your inabilities. Your value is not even based on the things that people have said about you, good or bad. Your value is what I've appraised you. I'm your creator. I have placed an appraised value on your life. And your value to me was the blood of my son. I didn't redeem you with silver or gold or anything corruptible, but the blood of my son. And what I want to talk to you tonight is about how to literally live your life from the position of value that occurs when you believe the way God sees you. How it changes everything for you. It's such a liberating message to me. It took me from... Now, let me tell you, my dad said this to me. My dad's in heaven now, and, and he, was, he was a piece of work, okay? He loved Jesus, but sometimes you couldn't tell that either. But he was a great guy. I love my dad. But my dad, when I was a senior in high school, was when all the steel mills were closing in western Pennsylvania and this area. You all remember the devastation that was happening, right? And it was right before it all really hit, and my dad saw the handwriting on the wall. And he pulled me aside, and, and, and he's not kidding. He was dead serious. He said, boy, the mills aren't going to be here in five, six years. And then dead seriously, he looked me in the eyes and he said, I don't know what in the world you're going to be able to do. And it was kind of, I was like, gee, daddy, thanks for the encouragement. But <laughs> what he was basically saying is, look, is that, you know, you kind of have a little slug factor to you, boy. And at least they'll let you push a broom. And you, you can make at that time 45 grand as a laborer with overtime more. That was a ton of money then. It's a ton of money now. And he realized that gravy train was dying. And he looked at me and he said, I don't know what anyone's going to pay you to do. So it wasn't just my opinion. It was that I lived my life in such a way as that other people formed that opinion. And my dad wasn't being mean to me. He was actually, you know, being serious. And, uh, and, but, but the point of it is this. I want to talk to you tonight about this. Is how do you develop your, your value and worth? Let me read to you out of Psalms 8, verse 3. And this is kind of a mixture of different translations. So let me just read it to you. Psalms 8, verse 3 says this. When I look into the night skies, this is the psalmist David writing, and I see the work of your fingers, God, the moon, the stars that you've made. What is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you would care for him and visit him. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. The Hebrew word is Elohim, the name for God. You've made him a little lower than yourself. And you crowned him with glory and honor. Those words in the Hebrew carry the meaning dignity and worth. And you made him to have dominion over all the works of your hands. And you put everything under his feet. God is speaking through the, the, the writer. And, and, and David is looking at the night sky and he sees the, magnific the magnificent universe. And he looks at all that God's created and, and, and he has this thought. What's, what's man in this? We're a speck on a speck in a universe. Why is your mind so full of us? We, could, we would say it this way. Why are you obsessed with us? God, why are you obsessed with man? Why have you made this being on this dot in the universe just a little lower than yourself? Do you know God made man in his likeness and in his image? He said, I made you just a little lower than me. I'm not saying you're a God. I'm telling you, that's the class of creation the Creator put upon you and me. And then he said these words, and I crowned him with something. When I created man, I crowned him with glory and honor and dignity and worth. 
And then he said, and because of that, I expect you to live your life with dominion. In fact, everything I've created, I've expected, I expect you to have dominion over it. Because when you understand who your creator is, and you understand who he is, you understand that you're made in his likeness and his image. Then the very thing that he created, he created for you. And he said, I want you to live with dominion in your life. And isn't it interesting, the very thing that most of us never experience is how to live in dominion. We live dominated through circumstances, through fear, through sin, through the effects of sin, abuse, anger, fill in the blank. And our lives end up being these mini prisons that we end up living in. And he's basically saying this, I didn't create you to be dominated. Now, men and women have perverted this, this God-given DNA to live in dominion and, and, and have dominated other people. God never put that in the heart of man. God himself doesn't dominate us. And yet, he's simply trying to tie together that when God crowned you with glory, honor, dignity, and worth, and he made you a little lower than himself, and he made you in his likeness, and he made you in his image, he made you to reign in life, not to have life reign upon you. He didn't make you to grow up thinking the way I thought of myself. I saw myself lesser than other people. Let me, let me just give you a real quick analogy. Here's how you can know if you don't understand your value as a person. If you think there are people more important than you, or less important than you, that's a deception. If, if, you see, we think it's humility to see somebody that we think, a human being, that is great stature, great accomplishment, and we would be intimidated in their presence because that's what a person who's lesser than would feel in their presence, and I'm a humble, humble person. But the minute I believe somebody is greater than me, by definition, I now have to believe there are people, people lesser than me. And when you understand your value and worth, you understand there are no great men and women. There's just a great God. There are no great men and women. It absolutely destroys the intimidation factor. It makes you understand that the poorest of the poor, the most broken of the broken, holds no lesser value to God than you do. And if that's how God sees them, who am I to see myself any differently than another human being, no matter what their issue is? Because the minute I think somebody is greater than me, I now, by definition, think I'm greater than someone else. Someone else is going to be lower than there is that hierarchy in human beings is such a deception because what it does is it creates a worth system based on something external that is so unfair and inequitable see every one of us in the room in this room have experienced different upbringings my parents didn't know the lord growing up my mom got saved and my dad later but i grew up with in a home where two parents stayed together and it was a, basically generally speaking, a pretty stable environment. But I promise you that there are people all over this room, you grew up maybe without a father, without a mother, maybe you were abandoned as a kid, maybe worse yet, you live with a father and mother that, that brutalized you verbally or physically or sexually or left you unprotected and other people did that to you. And before you ever got a shot in life, you were destroyed on the inside. Then we come to church and we sit beside the person who grew up protected. And they look over at the person who wasn't and say, I'm a pretty screwed up person. 
And the minute I begin to think that way about other people, I've fallen into the trap that Satan intended for man all along was to define himself outside of God's definition. God made man in his image and we return the favor. We so often create God in our image. And what I want you to see from the book of Genesis when God did this, let me read it to you. In Genesis 2.25, when God made Adam and Eve, listen to what it says. And Adam and Eve were both naked. Everyone say naked. Yeah, you said naked in church. Thank you, Jesus. That's good for you. There you go. Adam and Eve were both naked, and the man and his wife were not ashamed. There was the absence of shame to their physical nakedness. Now, we understand that they were naked in the sense that they were not clothed like we're clothed tonight. But they were covered with something. The covering that they had was the glory of God. I don't know what it looked like. I don't know what it felt like. I don't know if it was visible. But I know when sin came, that glory departed. Because the Bible said all has sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. That glory is the defining nature of God upon man. I've crowned you with this glory and this honor and this dignity and this worth. And so much so was that covering on them that it absolutely covered their nakedness. Doesn't mean they didn't see. I don't know how that worked. But I know this. They were unashamed. See, guilt is when you feel badly about something you did. Shame is when you feel badly about who you are. Shame says there's something wrong with you. Shame is what many of you in this room carry because of what someone else did to you. Whether, what, whatever that horrific thing may or may not be. And maybe as an adult, you're married and your spouse cheats on you and, and just devastates you. And, or maybe you've done things that you're so ashamed of. And you carry that on you your whole life. And it becomes a prison that you live in. In Genesis 3, verse 6, the Scripture said, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, we know the story. I won't give it context. Most people are pretty good with the Adam and Eve story. That it was pleasant to the, to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its root and ate it. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. When they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God said to Adam, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked, and I hid myself. Can I tell you, the first judgment in the Bible was really not God judging man, but man judging God. What did God say what would happen to Adam and Eve? The day you eat of that tree, you will surely die. So what does Adam think God is coming to do? Kill him. He finds himself naked. He finds himself ashamed. He, now he tries to inadequately cover himself. And when God says, Adam, where are you? He said, God, I hid myself from you. Because he judged that God was coming to harm him rather than to clothe him. Now, the clothing God gave him was twofold. One, if there was a prophetic clothing coming where he would say, there will come the seed of the woman and she will take back 
what the enemy just took from you. That's the, that's the short version of it. But then God also killed an animal and shed innocent blood and clothed them with something that would cover them more adequately than, 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 than fig leaves, than leaves of a tree that disintegrate. And what I want to help you to see tonight is simply this. Are we like them that we judge God? You see, you may think, yeah, I know God loves people, but man, he, he's messed up in my life, man. That I just, and you keep this kind of distance from God. Adam and Eve hid themselves from God. And then they tried to cover themselves. And men and women have tried to cover themselves ever since. When we, when we feel naked and ashamed before God or others, we cover ourselves. Sometimes we do it through isolation. Sometimes through anger. Uh, maybe addiction. I don't know. But it's an insufficient covering. And the covering won't work for you. There is only one covering that will sustain man. It's the covering to be clothed upon of God. But, but Adam lost that. But in a moment, as, as, I don't have long to talk to you tonight. I want you to see where Jesus restored that, that clothing, that covering. Where he restored your value and your worth. Until you know what something, something someone is worth, you don't know how to treat it. I'll never forget the day when I was sitting in Bill Anzavino's church. I had come back to Christ, and I was living a very immoral life. I'd gotten saved when I was a teenager, then I fell away. And I was living a very, very, very immoral life. And I, and I remember my mom brought me to a Sunday school picnic. How many, doesn't that sound like a really great thing a teenage guy wants to do? I was about 19, 20. Hey, you want to go to the Sunday school picnic? Gee, Mommy, can we watch Mr. Rogers when it's over? But my mother was, is, is, a, is a smart woman. She said, she named all these Italian ladies that were going to be there. And she told me the food they were going to bring to the picnic. Now, no offense, those of you that are not ethnic, when you all have picnics, bless your heart. What do they have watermelon and hot dogs and hamburgers? And oh, bless your heart. Make an Italian sick, but it's okay. They brought roasters with cavatelle and brajol and peppers and a sausage. And it was just, so she told us all the stuff that was going to be, and we were like, yeah, well, I'll go there. Because food, you know, there's food. I was a teenager, I mean, you feed me. And I knew these ladies. These, I mean, you put that food on top of your head, your tongue would beat your brains out to get it. Awesome food. So it was great food. So I go, we eat, I'm thrilled, I can't wait to get out of there. And here comes my mother, wants to introduce me to the pastor. Oh, Jesus help me. So here's my, I think, I'll fix her. She will never do this to me again. She walks away, and I'm sure in her breath, oh, Jesus, help him, help him, Jesus. And so Bill's night, hey, John, John, I'm Bill Levine, little man. And I just lit into him. I said, man, listen. And I told him, I mean, vile things I did. I, it's a shame to even speak of. And I do this, and I do this, and I'm going to go back to college. I'm going to do some more of it, and I like it. And I thought, you know, he's going to turn around and say, you know, it's something about me that wouldn't be nice. You know, you're, you're going to go to hell when you die, or you're this worthless human being. And, and you know what? All he did, he looked at me, and he just simply said, you absolutely have no idea how much God loves you, do you? And I was paralyzed. I thought, I, I remember just staring at him. I said, did you hear what I said to you? 
He said, no, no, no. He said, no, I heard you. But you have no idea how much God loves you, do you? I did, I did not answer that. He shook my hand. He said, John, but it's so nice to meet you. Have a great day. He walked away. What he did for me that day was not confirm the garbage that I was in living. He told me something I didn't know. That there was a God that loved me in spite of the mess. A God that saw something in me that I couldn't see in myself. Scripture said it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Not an ear beating. Because I'd had my ears beaten. It drove me from God. I got a lot of Christians, if you love the Lord, you wouldn't live that way. Well, that's not, that's not a lie. That's true. But you don't get to love God by... You know, listen, people don't get pretty when you tell them they're ugly. It's truth that makes people free. Not a religious covering. Not a religious shunning. Many people have been raised with that in their lives. Parents give you no approval until you reach a bar. And if you get close to the bar and it's, you know, that's really good, but I'll tell you, you, you got an A minus, you should have gotten an A plus. And you can never, ever reach the mark. And so you just give up. And before long, everything is external. Like Adam and Eve, you're putting fig leaves on to cover your nakedness. And where God said, I've crowned you with something, not of your own, not of your own works, but because of my mercy and my love for you. And, and I'll never forget it. I mean, it just, I was, I went, I, I was in, I was in college. I was living so immorally. I can't even, I'm ashamed to even explain it to you. I would come home after a night of debauchery of every imaginable kind, three, four in the morning, and I would lay in that dorm room alone and I would feel the presence of God. And I thought he was coming to kill me. I didn't know. I just said, God, what are you? trying to kill me. I'm like, leave me alone. I remember crying. Just leave me alone. I, I didn't know that he, it was his mercy that endures forever. I didn't know it was the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. I didn't know that he wanted to restore me and help me. I, I thought, you know, I deserve punishment. And that's what he's coming for. So I, it, it was, it was it, those words haunted me. That you don't know how much God loves you. Three, four months later, I'm actually back at that church. Bill's speaking, and he quotes the scripture where Jesus said, The Father himself loves you. And it was one of those moments where I don't remember anything else that day. I know where I was sitting in the room, and it hit me. Not Bill teaching me. The Holy Spirit taught me. In that moment, I, the Father himself, John, loves you. You, just like you are. Not when you cover yourself properly. Not when you jump over this hoop or, 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 or wall or, or climb through this hoop or make that person happy or satisfy that religious whatever. He loves you right now while you're yet dead in your sin and trespass. He, he died for you before you, you had any potential and promise to be His. And I'll never, I remember sitting there and if, if you could hear chains falling spiritually, they fell off my life. One after, I can remember thinking, I don't have to be a person that doesn't live their life for a reason. I actually can make, my life can matter. I, it hit me that if I'm loved by Almighty God, because I know what it means to love somebody, if He really loves me, 
And man, he's got, a, he, he's got to have something amazing for me. And now that I'm a father, I know what that means. I've got three kids, two daughters. And I love my son, but look, I have two daughters, which means I'm willing to go to prison. <clears throat> no, really, I am. Just, I, I plan to be good to my sons-in-laws unless they harm my daughters and they'll meet Jesus. I'll go to heaven. My daughters will visit me in jail, but it's okay. She shouldn't talk that way. Don't touch my daughters. I love them. I'll give anything. I do it. I just, I love my sons. I love them. And when I understand that the Father himself loves me, I no longer have to cover myself with these externals. I no longer have to be a person driven by fear. I no longer have to be defined by the worst thing I ever did. Or by the way, the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Listen to how people speak about themselves. I've been abused. I'm divorced. I'm broke. I'm bankrupt. I'm stupid. I can't, I can't do anything right. Nothing ever works out for me. And we think we're simply being honest and all we're really doing is distorting the image of God in our heart. God said, I didn't create you to, to live that way. I, it can't change how you feel right now. But until you understand the truth that the Father himself loves you, then when he made man, he crowned him with glory, honor, dignity, and worth. And when man sinned, that glory departed. But Jesus came to restore back what Adam lost. And I am so convinced that the work that Jesus wrought in Calvary is greater than the work Satan wrought in the garden. But we have to, we literally have to come to believe it. Let me just bring you to one more scripture as we close. John 17, 19. Then I just want to pray for you. John 17, 19 says this. He said, I do not pray for these alone. Jesus is speaking. But also for those who believe in me through their word. So is he praying for us? Sure he is. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And that they also may be one in us and that the world may believe that you sent us. And the glory, that word means the magnificence, the excellence, the preeminence, dignity, worth, even grace. The glory which you have given me. Now listen, I now give them. Just that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may be made perfect in one. <clears throat> and that the world may know that you sent me. Now listen. That the world may know this. That you have loved them as you have loved me. That you love them as you have loved me. Do you understand? The Father loves you no greater or lesser than he loved his Son. That's the magnitude of the love of God. Jesus said, the glory and the honor, the preeminence, the dignity, and the worth that drove man to a place and to this day drives him to have dominion over his world. He said, That's, men have perverted that use of dominion, but I created you that way. And he said, when, when sin came, man covered himself. When sin came, man hid from God and judged God. And he said, I've come to restore that covering. I've come to restore that dignity in you, that glory and that honor and that worth. I've come to restore the understanding that nothing in life has to define you any longer. That nothing in life has to, has to be that which dominates you. As terrible as these things may be and as unfair as they may be, they no longer have to be the defining thing of your life. So if you don't know what happened to me, you don't know what happened to Jesus for you. 
He paid a debt that I could not pay. And when He died on that cross, buried, rose from the dead, when you received Christ into your life, you literally became an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ, a partaker of divine nature. Christ in you, your hope, your hope of glory. He's your only covering. There is nothing else that I can bring before God of any worth or value. Not my works, not my good works, and by the way, not my failures. I don't run from God because of my failures, and I don't bring my successes to God and say, look, look, Jesus, like a, like a dog brings you his bone. If there's anything good in me, it's him in me. And my value and my worth was restored to me when Christ became the Lord of my life. And I'll end it with, with simply telling you this. When I look at what God has been able to do through the decisions that, that I've made since in my life, I get such a kick out of when people say this, and I understand they're just they're being kind. Uh, but some people actually believe it. They'll come and they'll see you know the work that we're doing and the, the, the magnitude of some of the things that have occurred. And they'll have an assumption, well, you're, you're a smart guy, or you're this, or you're that. And I know none of that's true. Here's what I do know, though. I know where I was without Christ. I know about the kid that my dad was hoping the steel mills would live so I could have a living. What changed that for me was not a quality decision. Was not a, I'm going to pray more. Nothing wrong with praying more. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to figure out a way to cover myself enough to where God will look and say, Ooh, Johnny, you're doing good. Let me do something great for you. The only way Johnny does good is when Johnny understands that he already has done something great for him. And I simply have to believe it. And I have to trust that his, the way he sees me is the way he said he sees me and not the other voices in my life. And worse yet, the one in your own head. Stop letting anything or anybody define you. If you don't understand, I had an abortion. I had this. I, that's not who you are. That's something you did. You are who he said you are. And when he valued you and he appraised you, he said, you're worth the blood of my son. And there's nothing that I won't do for you. If I, he didn't withhold his own son, how shall he not with him freely give you all things or anything? So my prayer for you tonight is that, that the shackles that this understanding has caused to fall off of my life again and again, that for some of you in this room, I know you love, look, it's Wednesday night. You have to love Jesus to come on Wednesday night. You have to. Either that or you're in trouble and you can't keep your, your spouse happy. Okay, that's okay too. But you're here on a Wednesday night, man. That doesn't happen on, by accident. So here's my hope for you tonight. That when I pray right now that God, the Holy Spirit, will speak to your life. The same way He spoke to my life. Not through a pastor, not use, that a man spoke. God dealt with me. And I wish I had spiritual ears that day because I promise you, if you would have, if, if they would have been open to everybody in that room, you would have heard chains falling everywhere. And these many years later, 35 years later now, everything I'm doing today, everything I enjoy in a healthy, godly marriage, which I never would have had, everything I have with three just wonderful kids, none of that, none of that's mine. He restored my life because of His love and His mercy and His grace. And I don't deserve a whit of it. He did it because He loves me. And He's so good. And He's so kind. And I, my prayer for you tonight is that when I pray, are there areas that 
you've hidden from God are the areas that you've covered yourself. That you're willing to say, I stop judging you, Father. And I'll believe your love. And I'll walk in the light of how you see me. And I'll walk in the dominion you've called me to walk in my life. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for every person here under the sound of my voice. Every person here, no matter how long they've been a Christian or whether they are at all. That they would come to an understanding that the God of the universe so values them. That he is obsessed with them. His mind is full of them. And he desires for them to walk in the dominion that he created them to live. The purpose for which they were put upon the earth. That nothing should imprison them. Nothing should limit them. Nothing should surround them and keep them out of the purpose of heaven. And so, Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit of our God will take these, these, these meager words and will use them and speak a, a, an understanding and a revelation into hearts tonight that chains can fall off and we stop covering ourselves and we throw away those fig leaves and we go back under that glory that, Jesus, you said you give, you give back to us. Thank you, Father God. I pray that over every person tonight and with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to make certain... Before I turn it over to your, to your pastor, I want to make certain everybody here has given their life to Jesus. If you've never given your life to Christ or you're not sure, I want to pray for you, and I'll do it right where you're seated. If you're here tonight, you'd say, please include me in a prayer. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I'm not sure that if I died tonight where I'd spend my forever, and I want to make him the one who died for me, the only one that could pay my sin debt. I want to receive him into my life. With every head bowed, every eye closed, right where you're seated, I'll pray for you. Just say, Pastor, please include me in that prayer. I'm not sure where I'm going to spend my forever, and I want to know that I have eternal life by making Jesus my Lord. Would you just simply raise your hand right where you're seated, just high enough so I could see it, and I'll pray for you. I just want to make certain that everybody here has had that opportunity. If you've raised your hand, I haven't seen it yet, so just want to make certain. Okay, thank you, sir. You can put your hand back down. Thank you. God bless you. Listen, if you raised your hand, or you should have, pray this out loud where you hear Jesus will come into your heart. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Then Pastor Joe will tell you your next steps. But we'll pray it with you. Pray it with you here. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus is the Son of God. And he died for my sins. I open the door of my life and my heart. And Jesus, I invite you in. I receive you now to be my Savior and to be my Lord. Thank you for coming. I am now a child of God. My sin is washed away. And Jesus is the Lord of my life. Amen. Give them a hand, would you? God bless you. Best decision of your life. Pastor Joe. Guys, thank you so much. Absolute, absolute honor to be with you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.